Happy New Year. Hopefully 2017 will be less disappointing. <laughs> well, today is the eighth day of Christmas, and uh, these 12 days are called in the church calendar Christmas Tide. You probably are familiar with it from the old song, the 12 days of Christmas. Other cultures actually celebrate all 12 days and give gifts during that process and, and have feasts during the whole time. I don't think they're they do it as extravagantly necessarily as because we had 12 days of what we had, we'd all be wiped out. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about that. But anyway, this is the time when the church stops, celebrates that Christ actually came. The long-awaited Messiah appeared, the first advent happened, and the angels sung of peace on the earth for all people. But as our gospel reading this morning shows, that not all went well from then on. Today we hear the stories of those who have come to be known as the holy innocents, the first martyrs of the Christ, these children that were slaughtered, who were under two years of age and younger, they were slaughtered in the streets of Bethlehem after Jesus' birth. Think about that for just a moment. Those families had their little ones ripped from their hands and murdered right in front of them. We had four kids. I can't imagine what it would have been like to have your child torn out of your arms as you're wailing and then smashed. Where was peace on earth then? Advent hope seemed to end in tragedy for them. I would have been tempted not to tell that story if I were Matthew. I'd have just sort of skipped over it. But the reality, I mean, it's so dark, but I am so thankful that Scripture is so honest about things that happened. It leaves us in confusion. It leaves us in wonder. It leaves us in bewilderment. It leaves us with doubt, which is pretty much the human experience. The fact is these polarizing stories, Jesus coming into the world after the great expectations, angels heralding peace on earth over against these destruction of these holy innocents, points out how the way of life works on this planet. There's so much good here. And yet there's so much evil here. And we and the human experience taste both. Part of the challenge of faith is to learn how to dance with it. Learn how to process it. Because both are here. When I was younger, I found myself in an area of Christian expression and teaching that only focused on victory and on winning. And I memorized and praised prayed over the verses that really just you know, promised the good life to me, promised me a life free of hardship. And in my mind, I thought if I could just engender enough faith, if I could just open myself up to enough faith, that I could literally have nothing but a good life. And uh, texts like this one, 1 John, for everyone, the beautiful text, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. <coughs> 
This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And certainly this verse is true. Faith overcomes the world. But sometimes I think what, how I read it wasn't exactly true. And what I think overcame the world or overcoming the world, what it actually means, I had a little more American concept than necessarily a biblical one. I mean, overcoming the world meant winning every time, which means I always, I mean, I'll have a great career. I'll never lose a job, never be sick. My relationships will always be stellar. Everyone will agree with me. I'll always have money in the bank. And things, they're only going to get better. Right? This theology had no room for suffering. And as I preached it as a pastor, I noticed that people would be excited. But as I looked at them, the only ones that were there were people that weren't suffering. And if anyone would have trouble, they would either try to faith their way into obliterating it and have some sort of a testimony of how great their faith was or they would slip out the back and suffer in silence. To say faith overcomes the world and all pain and all trouble is true in one sense. It's true that no matter what life throws at you, God and you are bigger. And God and you will thrive through it. You'll make it through it. But it's not always Victory in the American sense of the idea, in our cultural sense of the idea. Because remember that America is born kind of on the back end of the Enlightenment, kind of on the back end of, a, of an ideology called progressivism, which meant things are always going to get better. I mean, life, with, after the Enlightenment with, uh, of age of reason and science, it entered a cultural imagination that somehow everything was just going to get better. We can conquer everything anything, that progress would be linear and ever-increasing, right? Up until that point, people had the idea that things cycle. Sometimes things are wonderful, sometimes things are not. And that was kind of the story of world history. But Americans say, heck no. You know what I wanted to say <laughs> was heck no. <laughs> this idea that, that, that we would have this sucking was rejected out of hand and we thought we could make all things good and gooder and gooder. <laughs> no word, but we'll make it up. And never lose ground, right? That kind of idea. This was imported into our view of faith, particularly in evangelical Pentecostal mindsets. We just simply let the culture affect us in how we viewed God and how we viewed faith. And we embrace this notion of America like that was called manifest destiny. Uh, this image was taken from the 1800s. This is an image of uh, the story of an angel leading. And you can see way on the right, there's like technologies emerging. You see the trains that are up there, the ships are over there. And then on the left, you see the indigenous people and kind of life that's not as good, it's being chased down. And notice that on the, on the right, it's very bright, and on the left, it's what? Dark. These images got into our minds. The past is dark. It's not as good as it's going to be, and it's going to be good. This kind of idea was simply mirrored in our faith in the modern era. 
but it simply doesn't hold up. It's true that things often get better in the world when we do good and when we move in wisdom and when we walk in love, but then things also can get bad. I mean, natural disasters, bumping into people who are evil that scoop into our lives and bring trouble, wars. Here's a shot of a city, European city, in the 1930s, quite quaint, beautiful. The buildings are architecturally brilliant. See, the balconies are just gorgeous and the windows are so cool. And then here's the picture of the same city today. It's Aleppo. Things didn't get better for people in Aleppo. I bet you there were people of faith there looking for God, trusting in God walking in love, asking for peace. Peace didn't come. But maybe Americans are just better. Than, maybe God loves us more. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why we don't have trouble, right? Or maybe, I hope trouble doesn't come ever. But it could because we're in a world that has trouble. I live in Manhattan, and, you know, there's always that danger of a dirty bomb or other kinds of things in the major cities of the West that could happen. You talk to people in, in, um, in our homeland security, people like that, and they believe it's going to happen. They just don't know when. So I sit there, and I always think it could happen. But you know what I think? God will still be God if it does. And God will still be God if it doesn't. There's something very healthy about that. Something very Christmassy about that. Hebrews 11 really captures how this stuff plays out. This is a text where the Hebrew writer is highlighting. It's like taking you through the hall of fame of people of faith. Who the big guys were and the big gals were, right? And he describes it in verse 32. What more can I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered stuff, kingdoms. They administered justice. Injustice didn't win those days. And they gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness ah, didn't stay, turned to strength. They're powerful in battle, not beat. Routed foreign armies. Women receive back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released. There's a turn here. Others with great faith were jeered and flogged. Still others were chained and put in prison. These are all Hall of Faith people. Some of them were stoned. They didn't win that day. They were sawed in two. They didn't rout foreign armies. They were put to death. Or the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground, even though they tithed. <laughs> and these were all commended, why? For their world overcoming 
Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made perfect. See, family, you know, we just need to pause and say, just be thankful for how fortunate we are in the United States of America. And it's not because God loves us more. It's a very rich nation in natural resources and diverse peoples. There's so much strength there. One of the prayers I pray from the Book of Common Prayer twice a day uh, is this. It goes, Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, our preservation, and all the blessings of this life. And oftentimes I'll just stop and iterate them in my mind. And I'm healthy. I've got this girl that still loves me after 42 years. I've got kids. Even better, I've got grandchildren. (laughs) Makes raising kids worth it. (laughs) I've got resources. I have a place to live. And I just pause and thanks. And then I just know in the back of my mind the next line's coming. But above this all... Thank you for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. See, we give thanks for the good. We hope for the good. Yet even if you've had a very good life, trouble will eventually find you. You might lose a job, status, parents will pass, friends will die. We experience failure personally sometimes, business failure sometimes, illness at almost any age can leap on you. Aging sucks. (laughs) But it's better than dying young. I'll take those sore knees any day to the grave as opposed to the grave, not take my sore knees to the grave. (laughs) Life has bumps in it. And death really does eventually come to all of us. You're all going to die. Hopefully, I'll do the service. And death, you know, it really is a tough process. It's a process. Just like being born is a process, a little bit rough. Dying is rough. That's one of the things I love about being involved with hospice care, which I've had the pleasure of being involved with for the past number of years. Helping people with the good work of getting ready to die. Because the scripture says there is a time to die. In such a progressive culture, dying is almost an embarrassment to us. And most people don't ever think about it. And they just are death deniers. But it's good work for a Christian to die. These things don't mean God isn't good or that he didn't bring peace when Jesus came because he did. And Jesus looks at them in John 16 and you can tell he doesn't have this, a problem with this, with this uh, dialectic, this kind of, uh, or, or, or paradox is a probably a better word. He says, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. 
in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I used to read that to mean it may be hard for a little while, but in just a minute, you can turn it around with your faith, the circumstances. But what if he's not talking about circumstances? What if he's saying in whatever circumstances you face, you can have peace? See, we suffer in a number of ways that are good suffering. It takes suffering to simply advance in life, to increase a skill. Some of you have maybe thought about going back and getting another degree. might be helpful in your career. That does, it's not like that's, oh, just so simple. You're going to suffer. Amen. People have told me in the past, I want to write a book. And I think when, I, when they say that, I said, no, you don't. You want to go to movies and eat bonbons. That's what you want to do. Because writing a book is really hard. And you got to sit down and you got to press through. And it's very disappointing when you listen to your own stupid. <laughs> and you have to forgive yourself. <laughs> and try again. It sucks. <laughs> Having a baby, there's a pleasant experience. <laughs> For men... The only downside is you have to raise those ingrates. <laughs> and then there's relational suffering. There is no great marriage without lots of suffering. Because you have to try to understand each other. I remember discovering, I just couldn't figure out why Gail didn't think right. You have to forgive each other which means you've been hurt, which means your heart's sick. Hope deferred always makes the heart sick. And so you will make each other sick when you're married. But you've got to lean into it and you've got to forgive and the pain of that. You've got to hope beyond the disappointment. Then you've got this relationship with God. It is impossible without suffering. First of all, he's invisible. You've got to believe in something you can't see. Okay. <laughs> And then we sin, which, you know, and this is such a mix-up in my, I, to this day I have a hard time with this, that God doesn't just want my good, he wants my bad. He wants me to come with him when I've been bad. He wants me to know that he's with me when I got a little upset more so than I should have thought those wrong thoughts, envied in a wrong way. I was a little too grabby and greedy. He wants me to know that he wants me to bring that part of myself to him, not just the good parts that I've scrubbed. There's a physical prayer that's been prayed for centuries that I was not aware of. I mean, I've seen it. You know, you've seen this ridiculously pious praying, you know, that every one of us have made fun of. <laughs> well, I have anyway. You know, this kind of praying. But you know where that comes from? It's the idea of bringing the both sides of ourselves to God. You see it when, when in the Eastern, uh, you know, the traditions of like Taekwondo, you know how they, you know what they're doing is they're saying, they're bringing the energies, both the negative and the positive energies into balance. And in a very real way, one of the physical prayers you can pray is, Simply, I, I do this, I'll put my hands up against my heart like this and I'll say, okay, God, I'm bringing you both the good intentions and all of the bad intentions. 
And then I'll put my hands up to my mouth. Sometimes I'll say words, sometimes I won't say any words. Put my hands up my mouth. And I'll be saying in this gesture, I'm bringing you all the good things I say, but I'm bringing you all the horrid things I say. I'm bringing it all to you. And then I'll do this. I'm bringing you all the good thoughts that I have, and I'm bringing you all the thoughts that I think you're going to kill me if you knew I thought them to you. (laughs) And sometimes I'll just, in prayer, I'll just do this. Not words. Physical prayers. Like, this is a physical prayer. You've all done that. Most of you have. Surrender. Oh, this is a kind of prayer. God wants all of us, but we don't want to bring all of us. It's hard to receive forgiveness. It's hard to work through the guilt and the shame. It's painful. We'd rather just be unforgiven and sit in that muck for a while. But he calls us to himself. And then all believers suffer with doubt. I mean, unless, if you're not careful, you'll just culturally love Jesus and never really question the fact of how crazy it is to believe in something you can't see. It is crazy, crazy. Faith is full of doubt. That's what makes it faith. It's the choice to trust when you have no real basis for it. And yet there's a kind of knowing, but it isn't the same kind of knowing that other kind of knowings are. I love reading this, this statement by this guy. He says, you know, he says, every year or so, he said, I come down with the atheist flu. <laughs> so about two or three days, I just can't believe it. He said, then I recover. <laughs> I love that! <laughs> Peter Enns says this. <laughs> it's a great quote. He says, doubt is sacred. Doubt is God's instrument. It will arrive in God's time and will come from unexpected places, places out of your control. When it does, resist the fight or flight impulse. Pass through it patiently, honestly, and courageously for however long it takes. True transformation takes time. You can take that to the bank. Now, there's two responses that you can have to trouble or suffering. I want to get through quick. One is um, you can just crash and burn and get bitter. Lots of folks do. Lose their faith. Start asking, why me? Why me? When really the truthful question is, why not you? You're in a fallen world. When things are going wonderfully, you probably don't ask, why me? Right? So why are you asking that when things go badly? Unless you feel entitled versus thankful. The second possible response to suffering is that in the spite of suffering, we acknowledge the good that's in the world and our good God. In the midst of whatever evil we encounter, we just simply give thanks. This is not to say we don't resist evil or unnecessary suffering. We should. We should always work to avert that kind of stuff and work around that stuff and work to fix those kinds of things. And we do get to grieve the losses that we have. 
legitimately. But we grieve knowing, we grieve well, because we know that God is the one who takes all things, even the things that harm us, which is never his will. He never does stuff to harm us. But we're in a world that has harm. But even takes that stuff that he never initiated, never imagined, and he works them into our good. That's how good he is. The text says that in Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God's working for the good. Doesn't mean he does all things, but in all things, he's working for the good of people who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Whenever his kingdom comes to light, which is what we're to pray multiple times a day, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Whenever it comes to light, wrongs are put to right. And so in the midst of all things, we're to love and we're to pray and we're to work for the good. In the midst of whatever circumstances we find ourselves, we just decide to do good. Thank you, those of you who work so tirelessly to make the world better. I mean, those of you in the medical field, thank you. Those of you that do social work, thank you. Those of you that are involved with providing goods and services to make life less difficult, thank you. Mechanics, Thank you. I would never drive without you. Law enforcement, thank you. You guys are the peacemakers. You make life better. I was in India pulling into a train station, and as I'm driving, this is gross, I apologize, PG-13. I'm seeing pieces of flesh. I didn't quite know what it was, and as I got further on, I'd seen several pieces of flesh. I saw a human foot. Somebody had thrown themselves under the train as we pulled in. The people are gathering, gathering up pieces of the remains, putting them in paper, um, newspaper. No sirens, no policemen. Just everyday people gathering the remains. I got back and I'm driving along the highway in rural America. And I got pulled over by a policeman. I said, what happened? He said, your tags expired on your car. And I said, thank you. <laughs> we live in a country that even notices the little things, much less a life that's gone. Thank God for America. And you know why America's great? People like you, making it great. Gooding it. Here's what I think we should resolve from a story like we've read today in the gospel of horror that arrives at the tail end of God's entrance or Christ's entrance in the world. This is what we should say. When, when evil comes that we cannot stop, by faith we endure it. Knowing that he is with us, knowing that he suffers with us. This is a huge chunk of theology that fills the pages of sacred text. But my American kind of faith perspective never even saw it. Philippians 1, for it is granted to you on the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer with him. 1 Peter 2, it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain and unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. 1 Peter 2, 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. I always thought Christ suffering so I couldn't have, didn't have to. Not as an example. Now, true, in some ways he suffered in ways we don't have to, and that's true. But he also suffered to show us how to live in a world of suffering. First Peter 4.19, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good even while they're suffering. 
The ver- verse 19, so then those who suffer according to God, I said that already. Did I say that one? All right, never mind. Irenaeus in the second century church father, he, he said that the world was a soul-forming world. He was saying that even when there's bad here, that the bad will be redemptive if we let it be. Hebrews says, it was fitting that God whom, for whom and through whom all things exist in bringing many children in glory should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what? Through sufferings. Here's what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting you don't fight to avoid or conquer unnecessary pain, that you shouldn't trust God as you're going through pain or sickness or loss or poverty, anything like that. I mean, I think God wants us to trust him against anything that makes life less than perfect or less than what he imagined it to be. So I'm all for that with your prayers. I love the cancer moonshot thing that's going on being led by Joe Biden. I think God loves that stuff. Us doing whatever we can to make life better for people. Progressivism is a beautiful thing. But in the meanwhile, in places where we do not yet win, we need to trust God to give us the strength to suffer, recognizing that he is actually suffering with us. God isn't just almighty. He's all vulnerable. Vulness. Vulnerable comes from the word vulness, which means to be bruised. Almighty God came to be bruised. I mean, God is woundable. That is what the central theme of incarnation is about. He submits to pain and loss and often sits silently with us in it, silently in it. That's why oftentimes when troubles happen, you can't even hear from him. You wonder, where is he? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know why he's silent? Is because he's in it with you, suffering with you. God is in the suffering with Carl, Carl Young said, all suffering is the suffering of God. God is intimate with suffering. That's why in Matthew 25, to the surprise of everyone, he said, when I was sick, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was imprisoned, you visited me. And they're all going, what? What? We, did, what? we didn't do any of that. And he said, no, no. If you did it to these people, you did it to me. Why? Because he was in the suffering and in the prison and in the hunger and in the sickness and in the thirst. He was in it. He has solidarity with us. He is the God who suffers. He's not just almighty. He's all vulnerable. The most shocking picture in the Bible is when God, the God who came in flesh, hangs on a tree He submits to the murderous impulse of the culture. He doesn't call for angels. He just hangs there, naked, bleeding, dying. This is the crucified God, and he's the one that all saw, and they were shocked by it. Sometimes we pray, and God alleviates the suffering. Other times we pray, and we hit silence. But if we really listen, he is there in the silence, suffering with us. This is the gospel. I wish I knew how it worked. I mean, I've seen answers to prayer that delight my heart, and I keep praying for more stuff to happen. I pray that everyone will be healed, every problem will be gone, everyone will keep their jobs. I mean, I pray for you guys. I pray that nothing but good happens, but the reality is it doesn't always happen. One of the gals in our own church in her 20s, this was a number of years ago, came up to me and said, I have 
started getting these debilitating headaches. She, they were so bad that she had to quit her job. She was just newly married and just basically was at home in the dark almost 24-7. Her life basically stopped. And so we said, well, let's pray. Let's trust God. We began to pray and trust God, and over the months, she began to see specialists, and they found a little bit of relief here, a little bit of relief there. But over the last years, it's never stopped. The miracle for her and for her husband is the fact that they're actually navigating through it. And they have hope. They may, she may never have a regular life, but she has life. And life is gift. And there are reliefs that are coming here and there, and she's still pursuing them. Debbie Gunger, that's my sister-in-law, my brother Mark's wife, about two years ago, she went through her sixth bout with cancer. She nearly died. We were there. And um, like the other six, other five, bam, it just disappeared. We're smiling, we're thankful for the time we have with her, loving her. And then about uh, two months ago, they called again. Cancer number seven. It's her third bout with breast cancer. And uh, such a beautiful person. I mean, she knows God is with her in it. When you ask her, she's not freaked out. She's not bitter. Here's the crazy thing. I mean, what's usually true about those who suffer greatly is that they're either deeply generous souls or they're bitter, crusty people with nothing generous about them. Usually one or the other. But she's not freaked out and she's hopeful that just in the past she'll be healed and she's doing what she can to fight it. But she's also okay with dying. She says, I, I just trust. The rest is with God. And he is with me in whatever happens with a beautiful smile on her face. And it is legit, baby. One of the last things I want to say, and I know I've talked way too long, is so. Uh, but it's one service, and you know what? <laughs> I am the bish. <laughs> Such power! You are suffering today. And one of the reasons I love the sanctuary isn't just celebrating a kind of liturgy that's just singing and, and um, preaching, although it sounds like that's all we did say, <laughs> but we have these other rhythms where we have a call to worship or we do the prayers of the people or we'll have Eucharist here in a moment, is that the kind of liturgy that I grew up in mostly in my evangelical life was liturgy that was just encouraging, inspirational, and exciting. And some of the liturgies, like the prayers of the people, can be kind of boring or the Eucharist can be a little boring, but I'll tell you what. If you're in a hard place, those will be the places of joy for you because they help you remember. They're not really pointing to inspiration or pointing to experience. They're just calling you to remember that God is consistent, that he is faithful, 
And some of these things we do have been doing since the church started and even before in Jewish life. And we sort of go to them and we're formed by them and we're held by them. I love it that we're part of a church that didn't just start 20 years ago, but actually started 2,000 years ago. And we're still grabbing things from that moment. So, this is the point of our gospel reading. God is good. He never gives us things that harm us. He wasn't the one that sent Herod. We live in a harmful world. We get to fight against evil any way we can. Remember, they took Jesus to, to uh, Egypt to avoid it. You can avoid stuff. If you can't avoid it, go, baby, go. Run, baby, run. But there's some things you can't, and when you face those kinds of things, remember God is good, move towards the good. If it eludes you, he's still there with you, going through it with you. There is peace here. Christ has come to bring it. Christ will return to complete it. This is the gospel. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.